Hello, welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that hosts powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations and shines the light on amazing individuals and their work in order to empower young people, teachers, educators, leaders and parents to live a happy and fulfilled life and most importantly, to flourish. We really hope you enjoy all our conversations. And welcome to another powerful and perfectly perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Benjamin Freud to the podcast. Very warm welcome, Benjamin. Thank you so much. Wonderful. So, uh, Benjamin, we're going to do things slightly differently today. And rather than me introducing you as a guest, I'd love you to introduce yourself for the people listening. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I am the co-founder of Coconut Thinking, uh, which is a website where we post articles and have a podcast. And really, it's about trying to get uh, people together to have conversations about how we can move beyond the system of education that we have today. Uh, We started off uh, thinking about things in terms of student-centric, in terms of innovative curriculum, but we really moved beyond and, and are wondering about what will it take to move beyond anthropocentric frames of mind? And anthropocentric means human-centered. Um, that's, that's really my passion. That's what we do. That's a labor of love. Uh, on the side, I'm the uh, whole school director of teaching and learning at uh, an international school here in uh, Thailand. Uh, and education is my second career. Um, I started off working in Silicon Valley in the late 1990s. Um, and working with, with people who are really changing the world, uh, 25, 27-year-olds who didn't think anything was impossible. And I was around uh, that age at the time, and that really had an influence on me. So I want to take that into uh, every other field possible that with a bit of courage, and uh, we, can, we can really change the world. Amazing. So with that courage to change the world, um, I've got this real passion in my belly that I want to see the same change in education that you do. Um, so how do we do that? How do we bring about change, do you think? How do we move beyond the current mental structures and mental models that we hold as true? And, and, and that is the big question. Uh, and I think that's the big question that people have been asking for 100, 120 years. Uh, Maria Montessori was asking this, um, you know, John Dewey was asking this, um, all, the, all, these, all these great thinkers uh, at early part of the 20th century were asking this and trying to move beyond uh, what, what, you know, what was already starting to formulate itself in terms of mechanistic thinking. Um, ch- change is something that is, is a bazillion dollar industry in, in the publishing world, and, and we're not going to necessarily um, move beyond where we are today by doing the same things. Um, I, I am starting to think, I, I started to think for a long time or ask myself, does change happen at the core? Does it happen on the fringe? Um, as a historian, um, I've, I've, uh, that's my educational background, my PhDs in history, um, I, I really focus on, on revolutions and, and understanding how revolutions happen politically and, and also economically, and there, and there are so many of the same processes. And it does happen on the fringe. Revolutions, by definitions, don't happen at the core because the system doesn't want to kill itself. So um, the revolutions happened on the fringe. So for a while I was thinking, well, yeah, sure, the fringe, and we need to have all these examples of schools that do things that will influence the core. 
And that might be possible still, but increasingly, as I'm starting to understand living systems thinking, I'm starting to think that the change actually has to happen from itself. I, I'm starting to think that um, if we want to change things, we have to do it contextually. All of us individually, and if we think in terms of fractal, in terms of the organizations we're in, the schools we're in, have to come together and think about what is it that matters to us? Where's our meaning? What's our essence? Understanding who we are and, and how we can become what we want to become. And so we worry about ourselves and other people who want to go on a different journey worry about themselves. And I keep going back to this idea that much like a ball of, of, of mercury, those who are similar will attract themselves and become a bigger ball and a bigger ball and a bigger ball. But we can't have this mechanistic thinking of we're going to change things. And if we do this and that's going to change, we have to do this. That doesn't work. And it hasn't worked. Work on ourselves, our living system, and then, and then do, you know, think about the values that we have and work within that system. And it might be that uh, a school, or maybe we call it something different from a school, value something completely different. We don't no longer value going to, you know, putting university first. We no longer value academic. We value um, kindness. We value uh, working together, community building, we value uh, learning socially, so we assess as a group, and then that becomes our values and our system, which is, of course, not completely independent from the bigger system, I get that, but that becomes our value, our system, which hopefully will attract, like a ball of mercury, others the same, and then, and then that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It has to come from inner work. It can't come from trying to change everything, because it hasn't worked, it won't work, that's not how change happens. Amazing. But there's a few things that you've said that I wonder perhaps we could clarify for people who might not be uh, as au fait or understand what, your, what the words you're using. I guess it's the linguist in me that likes to clarify things. Um, just a side note, being French, uh, the revolution really resonates with me in this sense that, uh, you know, that there's a part of me that feels quite quite a bit of a revolutionist myself. So <laughs> really resonate with that, just as an aside. Um, so you mentioned two words, mechanic thinking and living systems thinking. So would you be able to clarify for, for me, for the listeners, what you mean by that? Sure. Um, so mechanistic thinking comes really, well, really it started with uh, Plato. And, and this I'll go back. I mean, I, I don't want, you know, this, this is a, a very long, fascinating conversation, but, but I'll, I'll bore your listeners if we go too much into this. And, and there's so much that I'm learning as well. Um, but th this idea of Plato, Plato had this idea that, that there are things and then there are the ideal of things. So we have, uh, say, a, a chair. And then somewhere else in the, in the universe, there's the ideal of the chair. And that started to create a duality between the physical world and the ideal world, which is where the, the spirits come in and sorry, sp spirit in terms of, of uh, the separation of our body and, and, and the spirit. Um, in, the, in the 17th century with Newton, he, he came, you know, he, he, he was fantastic in many calculus and says so many great things for science, but, but it was very deterministic. So if you follow Newton and LaSalle, they, they would say that if you knew everything about the universe, I mean, LaSalle had the idea if a, if a demon knew everything about the universe, then he could predict everything that would happen. Force equals mass times acceleration, all these things. If I push this, then it goes in that way. That was a Newtonian way of thinking, like a machine. And in fact, Newton and Descartes, they're, they're, they were um, thinkers who, who thought that life was like a machine. 
Descartes hung up a dog to a tree, dissected it alive, and said, let's not worry about the screams. It's just instinct. He, he, he's not really alive. So, so it was this whole idea with Bacon of conquering nature, this complete duality, because they saw nature as a machine. Because humans, uh, and this is where humanism comes in, humans were um, uh, the superior being, nature was there at our disposal, we use it. That's how we have this extractive mentality. And so it's a lot like the simplest way to understand it is like billiard balls. I hit the cue ball into the red, uh, onto the red ball, which goes into that pocket. That's mechanistic thinking. That's a problem solutions thinking. This is the issue that I have with the, so the, the, the sustainable development goals, but that's another question. But it's mechanistic thinking. If we do this and this will happen. A living systems viewpoint or a worldview uh, is more about everything's alive and everything has essence. Organizations are living systems. Every living thing is a living system, and it and it and it survives by um, by these these cycles of of energy. So when we when we when we do something, it comes back. It, it comes out. It's less linear and more cyclical. And so living systems uh, replicate themselves. They have their own essence. They know their own purpose, their own identity. Um, they 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 change when they have threats to survive of survival. So we don't change for any reason. A plant doesn't change. It changes in order to ensure that it survives. And it, it, it has life in everything. So rather than having mechanistic thinking, it's more a question of let's, let's develop our capacity. Let's grow. Let's, let's let everything become abundant rather than scarcity. Uh, to, to finish this quickly, it's the same thing as I think uh, the, there was a book, and, and it's a great, again, analogy, the difference between a carpenter and a gardener. A carpenter will measure things, cut it, set it for a purpose, whereas a gardener will let the garden just blossom with everything that's inside. And everything is, is about abundance because one plant helps another plant survive, which brings in from the sun, which regenerates it. That's the difference. Um, so, so it, it's, it's quite, it's, it's enormous. Uh, there's a lot of thinking that goes into this. Uh, Carol Sanford is a wonderful author who brings this in as well as Peter Senge and, and so forth. So there's a lot of literature there. We don't talk enough about it. Amazing. And this, again, resonates so much with, with my research because obviously I talk about flourishing in education. Um, and uh, I, in my, the second edition of my books coming out um, at the end of this month, um, and I've re I've my my publisher asked me sort of post COVID to rewrite it, um, to include my learnings from the the COVID experiences and as an academic. And one of the thing I realized when I was revamping the book is that um, I, uh, working in the system, I very much approached the so so the issues were you know I came back to university and I was horrified by what was came I came back to in the sense that the the lower sort of subjective well-being of the young people at university um, and because my background is linguistics and and cultural agility understanding the the deeper part of the iceberg I just thought well, we need to look at the you know, beyond the surface manifestation, right? But my first reaction, because I guess I was a product of the system, the schooling system, both in France and the UK, was to be very mechanical about it and to just go, well, it's simple. If I, if we look after the well-being of the individual, then people will be sorted. And what I've said in the second edition is exactly what you mentioned, which is actually 
uh, an organization, you know, so I talk about flourishing education and I've been saying to colleagues, it's about flourishing students and staff, like the adults around them. Um, and I have been talking about the fact that, yes, it's about us, the individual as a flower in the garden called life and showing up, you know, how do I show up in this garden called life? But it's also about the team of gardeners looking after the plants and caring for it. Um, and so I would love us to explore that, you know, so, so to me, you know, it's taken me painstakingly like thousands of hours of conversations on podcasts like this to be literally what I call live wired and changed, right? So for me to start changing my mindset and my beliefs and my values, um, and I did that willingly because it's my passion. I wonder if that's part of the reasons we're not really seeing changes. You know, like you, you also mentioned about change being a, a, a huge money-making industry and all of those things. So what's your, I'm sorry, obviously long, long comments to what you said, but my question is, do you think that there's a, there's a part of us that obviously, first of all, believes that we're more important as humans, but also that is not really willing to, to willingly accept the change and, and to explore a different approach? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's part of this, again, if we look at it from a system's point of view, um, the system doesn't really want us to change this way, right? We live in a, in a very extractive world uh, where it's about consumption. The capitalist system is about consumption and growth. Uh, those are very me mechanistic ways of thinking. Um, and, and of course, it's a question of putting that inner work is really scary. Looking inside is really scary. And, and, and sometimes we don't like the things that we see. And this is why, um, you know, yogic practice has been around for thousands of years and why um, it, it is so difficult to, to, to meditate, to concentrate, to look inward, to have that self-consciousness, that self-reflection. It, it is against us because, again, we want to survive and it's easier to block that out. Um, and, and bringing this, you know, to yoga, to ancient wisdoms, Buddhism, the Tao, um, all of these things are, you know, and, and, and also Heraclitus uh, in, in, uh, in Greece, who, who said that you never step into the same river twice, they, they, they all have similarities. And I think one of the things that we have a problem with is we think that this change, this, this idea of living systems, of, flower, of flourishing, of, uh, of gardens, of nature, people think that it's very, um, it's very woo-woo, right? It's all spiritual and we can't listen to that. But the actuality is, and, and this is the part about Newtonian um, ways of thinking, is that quantum physics, the quantum theory, which is as sciencey as it gets, and oh, by the way, the experiments are time and time again replicated. Quantum theory shows that Newtonian mechanics don't explain the universe. And they're useful, but they don't explain the universe. And quantum theory shows that if you, if you, if you have two particles that are entangled, thousands, millions light years away, they act based on each other. They're, they're totally connected. One rotates up, the other one goes down. Quantum theory shows that, that things are both particles and waves. There's a duality there. There's a, it's, 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 it's complementarity there. And so there is no such thing as, as um, this mechanistic thing because, because things have different, um, different forms in themselves. So, so yes, it's a spiritual part. We can say that. Yes, it's an ancient philosophies. Yes, it's indigenous thinking, but it's also science. 
So whatever point of entry we have, we're going to have to be confronted with the fact that we live in a universe that is interdependent, that nothing happens without our in interaction with something else. And therefore we are everything. We are nature. We are surroundings. I am you, you are me because, because we're, we're, we're part of, a, of, a, of an exchange here. But that's really hard to understand in a world where we're always told you're an individual, you have your own freedoms. Uh, if you do, if you work hard, good things will happen. That's what we're taught for so long. But it doesn't fit science, it doesn't fit philosophy, and it doesn't fit nature. And 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 worst of all, it's gotten us to where we are. So it is time to think about something different because the planet is burning up. Uh, yes, and I, and. No, we can't. As Einstein said, we can't solve the problem with the same thinking that created it, right? That's right. That's right. And he said as well that, that we were part of nature. And so did David Baum. And, and these are all, you know, they're, they're not guys walking around with beads and, and, and chanting, right? They, they, they're, they're, it's Einstein, Baum, um, Heisenberg. Yes. So, so, I'm really interested, and, and I really want us to explore the words, like the, the inner work. What do you mean by, by that when you sort of, you say it's about the inner work? Would you be able to explain to us what that means? Yeah, I, I think it's a question of um, really understanding who we are. And when I say we, I mean us as, um, as you know, the, 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 the physical, a uh, person that uh, that we understand us to be us, so Fabian, Benjamin, who we are, um, but also we who we are as as a group, as a community. Uh, it, it depends what level you want, because as a living system, if we think in terms of fractal, the same um, same applies, the same uh, ideas apply. So the inner work is about who, who am I, really understanding who we are, what is our essence, what allows us to, in in, in words, you know, flourish, to thrive. What allows us to be the best we can be, and, and, and best is a weird word, but, but really to develop into the person that we want to become. How do we act, think, do to become who we want to become or to become who we are? It's this idea of working from abundance and, and you know, we'll, we'll change, sometimes we'll get it wrong, sometimes we'll make mistakes. Sometimes we'll still be trapped in mechanistic thinking because let's face it, it's gonna be, it, it's, it's, it's so difficult to get out of it. But, but what are our values? Is going to university and the top, top one uh, really the most important thing for you? Is it? If it is, fantastic. Why is that? Why is that? And understanding why that is. Is it because you've been told that's what you're supposed to do? Is it because you really value the name for some reason? Is it because you think that, that there's an experience there that you can't get anywhere else? There's no judgment here. This is understanding. But once we understand these things we can, and, and we connect to the fact that you and I are the same, that we're together with nature, we have a different ethical code that comes out. Because when we do the inner work and we realize what our values are, and we do the inner work and realize that actually the inner isn't just me, as I mentioned, it's fractals, it's other things, it's other people, other organizations, we start thinking beyond ourselves. Because it's not about the ego, right? As Otto Sharma says, it's about it's from ego to eco. But we, who we are, is, is as a community, as a collective. And so how can you hurt, it's self-harm to hurt nature. It's self-harm to litter, to abuse someone, to be unkind, because we are the same. So that's the inner work. Who are we? What is our essence? 
at multiple levels. And then we rethink our values, and then we could start to redesign the system to make it work for a thriving individual, collective, group, whatever you want to say. Amazing. And I guess that's where, again, there's similarities between you know what you're saying and, and my research in the sense that what I often... So I used to think, right, okay, I'm going to change the system from within. So I tried to embed well-being in the curriculum. So trying to know obviously the well-being essentials that we know from research and try to do that. Um, but I actually realized that the students come from years and years of this system that has fosters the complete opposite of what we were trying to create. And so there's naturally a resistance because the students have learned to play the game, right? Of, well, no, 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 I understand the rules of the games. I know how to play this game well, and I usually win. So I don't want you to change anything. I want you to adjust what you're doing. Um, and that's why I'm currently on my, uh, you know, on the, a year out, first of all, because for my own well-being, I needed to step away after two years of, I don't know, hybrid and all of those things. So I needed to put my own oxygen mask on before I could give, you know, you can't pour from an empty uh, tank, right? Um, so I needed that, but also I, I realize now that I think I needed to be outside of the system to have a, you know, to zoom out effectively. Um, so I love what you've said and, you know, I love the moving away from the mechanistic thinking and the, the extractive world and the doing the inner work. Um, is it enough for me to do the inner work? And is that going to have enough ripple effects or do we need more? And again, so, so I want to frame everything that I'm saying. In, in one very important thing. Again, I'm a historian. So one of the issues with change management is that we want it to be quick, right? I want to see results tomorrow. In three months, we have a quarterly meeting. Let's see what the results are. I think we need to see this. If we have time, if the planet doesn't burn up over a longer period of time, I'm talking 10, 20, 100 years. This is a really longer view. This shift in consciousness that is required is so important it's probably as big as the shift in consciousness that went from being hunter-gatherers to the agricultural revolution to the second industrial revolution. It is that big. So it's not going to come by December 2022. But it's starting. And this idea of is it enough to just do the inner work? It has to be enough. Because we cannot force other people to do the inner work. They have to be aware of it. It has to emerge. The ripple effect that people who are doing the inner work and coming together, that energy source, that, that, that those conversations, those vibrations will bring in other people. Maybe it'll attract other people. Maybe it'll be out in the air and we'll sense it. I mean, this didn't come from me all of a sudden waking up one day and saying, I need to do this. I heard it from other people. I picked up the signals and got interested. And the more the signals are out there, the more people get interested. And then it gets, again, like that ball of mercury, bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and I think that once we tell people what to do, it's counterproductive. I'll tell you exactly. I, so I try to be as, as good a vegan as possible. I don't drink milk. I try to eat only organic eggs from, from chickens running around freely. Um, and, and, and that's great. And I do my best. I'm not always perfect, but I do my best. 
And, and the worst thing that a vegan can do, in my opinion, is to try to make other people feel bad because they eat animals. Let other people eat animals. You know, I drove a car to work. You know, I, 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 I do, I, I import stuff. Like, you know, unless we live in the jungle naked, we're, we're always going to have some kind of footprint. But, but let other people come to it by themselves. Let, let them develop that capacity without convincing them. And this goes back to what you were saying about schools. In schools, we tell kids what to think, what to do. You need to feel this way. You need to do this. This is like, that's just so, um, you know, it's the billiard bar mentality again. It has to come from within. How that happens is very complicated and I don't have a secret formula, but I think it's part of a mind shift that we all need to do together and allow that to happen. And I guess that, again, that resonates deeply with me because I think this is where we are unique, right? So because we are unique as individuals and our paths has, have been different, we will come to it, it through different ways or different experiences. Um, and so there's that, that I guess if, if um, you know, I often see that when I sort of, because I'm so passionate about change in education and about all of the things we're discussing, I have a tendency to uh, want people to come on the journey with me and to talk to them. And then I very quickly see when people are glazing over and I'm like, right, okay, <laughs> just take a step back here. Because actually, this is where I think I call that the delicate dance between the, you know, the, with the interactions with people where like ego can come in quite sneaky through the back door, right? Um, yeah. And and I realize, you know, it's taken me uh, uh, you know, six months now of being off the hamster wheel and you know, unpaid soft career break to really be more and be more present. How often my ego comes like through the back door, and I'm like, "Whoa, how did that happen?" Um, so I guess it's sort of you know, the I wonder whether you could talk to. So if the listeners are listening to what our conversation and it's resonating with them. Um, and they don't quite know what the first step would look like or what they, they could do to sort of start exploring the inner work and you know, sort of connecting with other mercury sort of, uh, you know, to create their little pool. What advice would you have for them? And again, it's, 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 um, it's an individual experience, right? And like it, my, my experience is, will be different from yours, will be different from someone else. So it's not something that I can say, hey, do this and it'll all, it'll all be better. I think, I think it's a question of really sitting down. It's first of all, slowing down. <laughs> That's the one thing that I would highly recommend. Even if I just say that it's not, um, there, there's no how-to model, I, I, I would recommend slowing down. Really thinking about like, what are the things that we value ourselves? having conversation, what energy am I bringing to the table whenever I have a conversation? What energy am I getting back? Um, what, what's the, I, you know, it's, it's um, I, I'm loath to tell people what to do. Um, I, I do think that if we understand the universe in terms of relationships rather than entities, that's the great first start because it is, you know, like the, the first step to, you know, in, on, the, on the eightfold path of Buddhism, it's right understanding. We don't exist as individuals. We don't exist. We only exist insofar as how we have a relationship with everything that's around us. 
Um, and, and, and that's where I, I call it, it becomings, right? These relational becomings. Um, the people might not be able to see, but I'm, I'm holding this, this little ball here. And, and my experience is shaped because I have this ball. The temperature shapes me. Um, the, you know, the, the quality of the video, the, the, everything shapes me and I interact with it. And everything that I do is in an instantaneous, and I'm talking like at clock time, like 5.6 times 10 to the negative 44 seconds interaction. That's quantum, right? And, and everything. So, so we, we are this, this, this river that Heraclitus said, talked about. So where do, they, where do they start? It's just about understanding, let me understand who I am. Who am I? What are the things that make me me? How do I flourish? How do I thrive? How do I, how do I become who I want to be? And then having conversations with other folks who may or may not feel that way, but understanding that it's not about them or being right or being wrong. It's about how do I make the decisions that I need to, to become who I want to become, not influenced or dictated by other folks, but really looking deep inside and, and, and being true to my essence. And I think that once that happens, I think a lot of, um, and, and this is all very simplistic, right? I mean, it's a lot more complicated than this. And again, I'm not, I, I'm not pretending that I'm this worldwide expert who's got this, this magic pill. But I think that would mean that the masks that we'd have would come to fall down and we'd be truer to, to, to who we are and who we want to become. And, and that attracts other people. It attracted us to have these conversations by putting those signals out there. And this is going to help me grow, hopefully you, hopefully the listeners, and that will reverberate and reverberate and reverberate. Honest, truthful conversations of openness, vulnerability, humility, to work on relationships, not just on us. Amazing. Yes, because that requires us to move away from that survival fear-based approach, right? So just the being humble and, and open and, and, and the, the other words that I sort of, you know, so I wrote like fear and then, and then trust, because to me, all of the things so, so I looked at your LinkedIn profile and and you at the top of your LinkedIn profile, you know, before our call, it says, we are not beings, but becomings. We are not nouns, but verbs. We are not static, but processes, you know, in the flow, like interacting with the flow of the universe. So as a linguist, this, this the energy of the words you're using that I feel them as very powerful, I guess, because that's where my my assets or my gifts are with around the language. Um, and I wonder whether, you know, you, you could talk to that in terms of, you know, the, the difference between the being and becoming and the, the noun and the verbs and that static and process, because whether that would help people, because sometimes when we are in fear and in survival and you know worse when we we've been in survival so long we in freeze mode that it does feel static right and it does feel like we're stuck in this environment and i and i don't know there's a I, I wonder as a linguist if your words might be able to slightly energetically shift people um into moving or taking the next step maybe yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll give a very simple example. So I, I really enjoy running. 
And I, I, you know, I, I'm for, you know, I'm the kind of person who I, I like to compete against myself. I love to see what time I do, and and that keeps me motivated. We all have our things, um, for good or for bad. And 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 I and I love running, but but sometimes I run different speeds. Sometimes a little bit faster, sometimes a little bit slower, sometimes a little bit tired, sometimes I, we're never the same person we were before, even if we're running the same path. That's very simplistic, but it's but it's an entry point to saying that we're never the same person. This idea of being. Which, which is, which is um, you know, which has be in it, it's the, it's, it's the gerund of, 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 to, to, of be is, is, is static. It, it, it means that we are, but we're not because who I am is different from the person that I was before this call. I've been changed already by this call. My cells are decaying, re, re, be, you know, renewing. I'm not the same person. I, I've, I you know, my, my lunch is settling and so forth. So, because we are interacting with the universe at, at Planck time, this, this infinite, inf, infinitely small amount of time, we are always changing physically, spiritually, mentally, we are always changing. You know, between me and this screen, there's not emptiness. There, there's these little, there's like this quantum foam that's moving, this virtual particles that are popping up so incredibly quickly. And, 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 and that's why we're all interconnected. Look, physically, David Baum calls it the, the, um, the, the intricate, the intricate, um, um, oh my gosh, the, the wholeness and the intricate order, the intricate order. And so, so th that's the thing about being a verb and not a noun. We aren't who we are. We are becoming who we are at very quickly because we're interacting with the universe. So, so it's a different mentality. And, and maybe bringing this back down to maybe the classroom, for instance, a very simple way to, to understand this is to say, you know, really, you could keep interest and you can grow and you can learn if you have more questions and if you have answers, and that is becoming. I talked to someone recently, um, uh, Stephanie Pace Marshall, who said she never even says she talks about answers. She says, I have responses because answers are definite. Answers are, are finished. She says, you can ask me a question, I'll have a response. Tomorrow, my response might be different. And responses invite dialogue. Answers invite finished. So if you have more questions than answers or more questions than responses, you're always looking for more. Again, it's dynamic. It is becoming because you're looking, 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 you're living. You're, you know, and, and, and so that's what I mean by that, by not being nouns. And, and yeah, sometimes we have fear and we're frozen and everything like that, but realistically, like, the universe changes all the time. So we talk about how can we change? We actually, you know, this is, this is a, an, another thing. Uh, we say, how can we change? Well, what we're always changing. Everything's always changing. Everything's changing. We have, everything changes. But what decisions are we making when that change happens, whether we know that change or not? That's actually uh, the question we need to ask. What decisions are we making? Mm, yes. And what came up as you're describing this for me is the image of you know, what you were talking to which is the you know quantum sort of theory and you know are we particles or you know so so that would explain so you know again you, you sort of talking about this conversation changing changing us the reason I continued the podcast and I've got 140 odd conversations is because like Eagleman says you know the neuroscientist I feel like I'm live wired. So every time I have a conversation after the conversation, I'm like, oh, I, I'm a different person. I really feel like I, I've shifted my mindsets and all of those things. Um, 
and to link to that there's to me there's a sometimes it feels like in the matter in the physicality um it needs to go in and and sink into the physicality if that makes sense so there's um you you talked about that right so um the 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 quantum theory and the whether things are um electrons or I can't never explain it maybe you can explain that for the people for our listeners but this idea that is it physics a physical cup or are we looking at the 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 electrons coming in and out of uh, of existence right um and perhaps um and this is just my my uh, thinking about what you were describing if we stay in the physicality and I'm this body then I am but if I think more in terms of particles and and you know in and out of existence, then I of course I become. It makes more sense. So maybe perhaps it's because we have a tendency to be more anchored in the physicality that we feel this fear. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it does. And I think it's normal, right? It's completely normal. Again, all these things are 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 aspirations right we have an understanding but how we can live them day to day is is something else i mean there's a reason why the buddha said that uh you'll you'll never be enlightened if you search for enlightenment um and and it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy journey what you're saying about the physicality and going back to descartes and and uh, Newton, especially descartes descartes said i think therefore i am so he created this separation well, he didn't create but he certainly pushed forward the separation between between uh, mind and body, saying it's different. You know, all these all these thinkers since the Greeks saying that, you know, yeah, we're, we're trapped, you know, um, we're, we're trapped in this in this body, but our soul is, is pure and will escape. And, and the body is actually in many ways uh, corrupting because it has desires, uh, desires for food, for sex, for for all these things, these carnal desires that are wrong. But the mind, the spirit that is pure because that is godly. Right. Um, so, so the, once we stop, once we go back to the way that, um, or to indigenous thinking's way, the way that even in, in Western Europe or, you know, that back, back, you know, thousands of years ago, um, of that there is no separation between mind and body, and there is no separation between us and someone else. That's just a different way of thinking. So there is that physicality, but that we separate mind and body. So Yes, we we think that we are the same physically, but again, our cells are are changing every every second, or you know every, every microsecond. I don't know, but um, so so we are not the same person that way either. But our our consciousness makes us hold on to this idea of of permanence. Sorry, impermanence. Sorry, impermanence. But but you know it, nothing is impermanent. Um, going back to to the quantum theory, it's 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 a weird one. Because, and again, they said that if you understand the quantum theory, or if you say you do, you clearly don't understand it. It's so weird. And, and, and I certainly don't, I, I only understand like, you know, a layman's you know, term about this, but everything is a wave and a particle. And a wave is really just possibilities, right? Uh, a, an electron could be somewhere along this wave. And it's only when, when we observe the wave that the, that the wave function crashes and then we, we witness it as a particle. Until it's observed, until someone or something observes that wave, the particle doesn't appear. And so that means that the particle only appears when something observes it. So that means there has to be something else. 
Otherwise, we're waves, which is nothing but possibilities. And if we're possibilities, then we're not entities. We are that becomings. So again, you know, and, and, and there, there'll be, there'll be a, a physicist out there who will correct me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that I've got, you know, the, the, the meat of it, at least, if not the details and, and um, there. And that's what's amazing about it. And that's what's so liberating, that we aren't who we are. We are who we are becoming, and we need to think about the decisions that we make to become who we want to become. And that's empowering. And that goes back to your question about the system and changing it. We can maybe not make the decisions to design a new system. Yes, and, and then it goes back to the what I've noticed in, in my research is that the flourishing individuals, first of all, know how they show up in this garden called life. And you, you alluded to it earlier on, is this, um, you know, so if I'm a climbing ivy, I know that I will need a, a wall for support, right? Whereas if I'm an orchid, I might have, a, I need a different environment and I have different requirements. And it's about, first of all, being okay with being the climbing ivy as opposed to being the orchid or the daffodil, right? That one is not better than the other. Um, and that in the garden called life, again, you said that, that beauty of, well, you know, an oak tree will have other um, organism around it to support it, right? Like fung fungus uh, will, will help and support the forest and all of those things. Um, and though that imagery really helps me, really makes me feel empowered when I feel like this. Um, so do you have your own imagery to sort of help people understand, you know, what you're, you, the change you're trying to, to, to bring through, um, you know, the, that, that inner work and the, what you're doing yourself? I think you said it beautifully. I think your imagery is is uh, um, is, is as beautiful as it gets. You have a, you have you know a garden, a, the wild right garden even means something you know man made. But why not just the forest right? Uh, depending on what we want to look at, I guess letting it grow, it will stabilize itself. Again, it's a living system. It will stabilize itself. If something goes a little bit too much, the the system will either break down or it will adapt in such a way as to thrive. Um, there's this wonderful story. I don't know. Um, I, I'm going to forget the details, but there was a field of, of, of one colored flower that were white and then something changed with the light. And then it started to, to bloom black flowers because it absorbed more light. I, I don't exactly know the details, but there's stories that nature really changes and adapts based on, on just this, this, on the conditions to, to allow it to stabilize. Now, stability is not always you know, the greatest thing, sometimes we need to, to shake up that equilibrium and, and not have it be stable in order to have a creative energy, right? If, if everything's stable and in equilibrium, we have no creative energy. So, so that's a tension that we deal with. But I love what you, I love what you described, the growing ivy, the, 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 the mushroom, the plant. I don't think it can get better than that, frankly. Good. Okay. Well, if that works, that's good. I just, uh, for me, that's, uh, and, and also because I guess every time I go in the woods where I live, we've got, um, 
we live near a, a woods and it, it's known as the Bluebell Woods in, in the UK because it's got one of the most beautiful sort of, uh, it's literally currently, at, they're all out and it looks like carpets of bluebells underneath the trees and it's just like every time I go back into uh, that environment I feel like I, I plug in and it's like, oh, yes, a reconnection <laughs> to, the, to the environment. And I guess that's where perhaps if we sit in front of our computers too much um, and you know you 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 use the slowing down, um, I really feel that since I've, you know, and literally I feel like I've hopped off the hamster wheel and consciously decided to slow down and to uh, not have a nine till five. And you know, again, I I, I recognize my my condition of privilege that my husband works and we can do that it's not given to everybody so I want to acknowledge that um but I wonder if if perhaps there's there's also this the the difference of like if I'm constantly on the hamster wheel going going then I don't really have the headspace to think and feel differently um would you would that echo your experience too in terms of of what you see, both in schools and sort of in life generally. Yeah, time. Time is a is a you know I heard someone yesterday or the day before called time a technology, um, or I read an article somewhere. Time is the one thing we we all have the same amount of time. We have twenty four hours a day. Um, the choices we make um, really affects how we um, how, how we thrive within that. Sometimes those choices are taken away from us. Um, and, and, you know, it's, that's, that's, that affects our ability to thrive. Uh, sometimes we have to give to others. We have to give our time to others. Just, you know, my, my wife, Charlotte, uh, who's a huge, huge influence on my life says time is the greatest gift we can give anyone. Um, so it, I, I do find that, of course, you know, this opens up conversations about how the school day is organized. It opens up conversations about deadlines and, and, and appointments and how our entire life is structured around a clock. Uh, we're forced to go from place to place. Things start at when the, when the, you know, the minute hand is somewhere and end when it's on there. It, it's not natural. It's not a flow. All these rhythms these mechanical rhythms, right? Because a clock is mechanical, affect who we are rather than letting things become naturally. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's really, really limiting. And those are the that's the system that we're, we have to exist in, we have to adapt to. Um, I, I do think that it would be eminently possible to create a school where there is no time. I think it's very, but we have to want that. We have to be courageous enough to do that. I don't see why not. Um, you know, so that's something. And, and, and for, the, for, for those of us who are in a school already where we don't necessarily have that ability, it, you know, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, all this is, it sounds all so big and esoteric and all, all that, but really, again, it's a, over a longer period of time. I don't have something saying, if you do this, then by the first semester, it'll be better. Or if you implement this program, uh, then you'll see great growth in your kids. Again, that's mechanistic thinking. It takes a long time, but we, if we respect the inner work for ourselves and we allow it to emerge from our students as much as we can, we do the best we can every day to get that happen, then hopefully over the longer period, it'll resonate. But you're right. You're absolutely right. Time, the hamster wheel, always running around, always busy, never having time to think, never having time to feel, to connect. 
It's a huge issue. And that's the extractive economy, isn't it? Right? It's easier just to buy something easily to, 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 to satisfy a need to take a pill. It's a lot easier than it is to, uh, to, to go through what we need to go through in order to, to have a more, um, uh, a lifestyle allows us as in your words to flourish, which is, which is counterintuitive. Yes, yeah, yeah, it is, and it's, uh, and it's that's where less is more, right? In in effect, it's like the more you strip away, the more you you're given more space. Um, and I I I've noticed that when I was still at work, where I I'd noticed that just simply removing the word busy out of my vocabulary was really a had was such a phenomenal shift, in the sense that you know we we almost wear busy as a, a badge of honor. It's sort of like the the fast on the hamster wheel. So they sort of like, I'm busy, I'm so busy because of of the way the mental models are, the more you extract, you know, the more you squeeze the lemon and you, you, um, the comment I made when I left is, I feel like a lemon that has been squeezed so much that there's no juice left. And Mm -hmm. if I'm going to give the system, I'm going to give whatever it is, nothing is worth me giving the the skin and the pip with it that's, that's how, right the, the idea and i wonder whether maybe if we all know and the idea that there's more lemons on the tree right so don't worry about the lemons and squeezing them because there'll be plenty more on this on yeah, the- yeah, yeah. but you bring up such a, such a good point about busyness you ask about hey how's it going if you say oh i'm busy oh good 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 but imagine if you were 20 times more productive than anybody else and you finished everything to the highest quality in, in an hour. And you said, and somebody asked you, how are you doing? I'm not really busy. They would automatically question you and you'd probably lose your job, even though you're more productive and, and have higher quality. They wouldn't ask about that. If you say, oh, I'm not busy, there's a problem. It, so already these mental models, you're absolutely right. It's a badge of honor to be busy. Gosh, you know, wow. Yes. And the, the thing is also because actually when we're not, when you're not busy, what I also discovered as a result of that is that when my mind is not cluttered with the overthinking of how busy I am and all the stress and all of that, then there's so much more space for less distraction um, and, and the needing to numb the pain and all of those things. And so therefore I've got more space for flow and obviously we know that from flow creativity comes up and so in effect yes i'm i i'm managing to do a lot more because of as a result of that so like you say it's counter counterintuitive but it's so such a powerful thing but a little shift you know linguistic shift almost yeah. makes a big difference mm-hmm. yeah I, i'm with you i that linguistic shift thinking in there i mean language has so much meaning if we use different words it has different meanings um yeah but again it's the extractive part they extracted all the lemon juice out of you they extracted that the system the capitalist system extracts from people and and then they they spit you out and and it sounds a bit dramatic and I, i'm probably exaggerating to make my point or maybe very simplistic but let's face it if they could get you to work an extra two hours every day they would. And they might say, yeah, well-being, well-being, but they would if they could. Yeah, 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 I agree. I 100%.
Benjamin, I could talk to you for hours. It's just such a phenomenal conversation and I'm so grateful we've connected and that the mercury pool is, is becoming bigger as a result of our conversation. So beautiful. Um, two, two last questions from me, if I may. The first one is, is there a question that you, when you first thought about the podcast, you thought, oh, I, I really hope Fabian's going to ask me this question that I may not have asked you, but you would love to share with us right now? Oh, that's a good question. Now you're asking me, um, I, you know, I, th I think, I think this conversation has been so, uh, so uh, natural that, that there's nothing that I wish I could, I could say. Um, I, I guess th there is, there is one topic that is probably going to be a little bit too, too, um, too, too complex, but, but one of the things that, that I've, that I'm really interested in, um, is, is about the metaverse. And, and I've, I've thought a lot about it and I've, I've gone into it and it's, it's, a, it's a really hot topic out there. Um, but I think that it will really shift. It, it'll, it won't actually shift anything. It'll augment what's already going on, which is the fact that Kids are learning more going on YouTube than they will from teachers. Kids are, you know, are able now to contact anybody in the world at any time, be part of these virtual classrooms. And, and that is going to be um, the stress point that I think breaks the system because uh, why, you know, I, I keep asking, you know, if I was a kid, I'd ask, why would I learn from you? You know, and, and I don't mean it in an insolent way, in, a, in an entitled, arrogant way. You know, I say with a little bit of, of a provocation in order to, you know, just, you know, poke the bear a bit. But if I can go in a classroom with people who are interested in the same thing or in a virtual classroom with people who are in or space, whatever, who are interested in the same thing I am with an expert who can bring in other people and it's all virtual, that's going to be a much richer experience than reading the textbook with a bunch of other folks. And, and that's really something that, that people I don't think need to be necessarily scared of. I think it's a magnificent opportunity because it's already happening that if they don't understand something, they want to know something, they go on YouTube. It's already happening. So that's one thing. Um, and the second question is the, the, the yin or the yang to that, which is the fact that we'll have to stay, I think, um, I, I think once that happens and, and, and the classroom starts to dissolve because we can go technologically elsewhere, we'll have to be much closer physically to our local surroundings, our very local surroundings, because we just can't travel or transport as much. We have to have these circular economies and that allows us to create relationships with other living things in our community um, that, that, are, that are really gonna be different and also open up learning, learning about each other, learning about the names of the birds, the names of the trees, who the neighbor is, because we'll have to be much more local. Um, and, and, and our ability to go virtually travel hopefully we'll compensate that. So those, those are the things that really fascinate me. Uh, again, I don't have the answers, but they're, 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 they're just really interesting um, things for me to think about, I guess. Amazing, and maybe perhaps the, the subject of a second podcast interview, if you're game. <laughs> Cheers, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so my final question is, um, I always ask my guests when we wrap up, um, if there was one or two things you would want the, our listeners to take from this conversation, um, what would it be for you? Um, I, I hope that it's not too esoteric and big picture. I do like to think that way, but I think on the day-to-day, -day, uh, if, if we think about it again in terms of fractals, yes, there's these big ideas and all this that may or may not you know, be whatever, but I think it's the day-to-day, -day, how we treat each other. Um, I, I posted on LinkedIn today that,
I, I had a really special week with my, my students. I teach grade four, grade five, grade seven, grade 12. And a series of events happened today where I really connected with, 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 with kids. I'm not going to call them students because, you know, they're, they're more than just that. Um, um, at, at every grade level, I really like felt so grateful those relationships. And, and I call, you know, th those relationships happen and are beautiful. And if we could think about that in a fractal way, we can have the same relationships with communities in the earth. It's the same principle, the same living systems principle. If we treat each other well with kindness, if we treat ourselves well first, and then each other with kindness, with respect, listening, valuing those relationships, that is the same energy as to treat the earth, our communities, people from other races, animals, plants, it's the same energy. So it's not impossible because it starts at every moment with the relationships that we have in front of us, within us, around us. Every moment is an opportunity to be more in touch with nature and the earth because we are valuing and being present with what we have in front of us. It's the same concept, different size. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate this. I love this conversation. I could talk to you for hours as well. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at FlourishingHE on LinkedIn, or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much, and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.